The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Turn in your scriptures, please, to Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 16 and reading through to verse 33. Again, remind yourself of last week's uh, text and sermon. The Lord has commissioned his disciples to go out preaching the gospel uh, and healing. And then he comes with this rather sobering warning to them and by extension to us. Matthew 10 and verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will raise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So... Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Gracious God, now speak to us in the midst of all our frailty, our weakness, our distraction. Lord, give me words to speak. We know that in speaking or in listening, without you we can do nothing, and we can have no blessedness that comes from you unless your Spirit sovereignly works. So be pleased, Almighty God, to work richly in the midst of your people now, building us up, that we may love you and trust you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Please be seated. Well, as I mentioned before the uh, reading, we saw last week how our Lord commissioned the disciples, sends them out in great power to both preach the gospel and also to do a multitude of healings. In fact, their ministry was to be a replication and continuation of his own ministry. But he talks to them now in a rather sobering manner. They will, in the course of their ministries, be persecuted for their ministry. They'll be persecuted by the Jews. They'll be persecuted by the Gentiles, even up to the point of death itself. But the passage is not absent of hope. It's not absent of power or absent of strength, because several times throughout, our Lord strengthens their hands and their hearts by, that, by telling them that this persecution will come because they are united to Christ and they are conducting a ministry which is essentially his ministry, that their Father will be with them, that the Spirit will speak through them, that he will be working, he will be with them. That's true for the disciples in a particular sense and in a particular time. It's true also of the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages. It's true for individual Christians that as Christ was with his disciples, as the Spirit gave them utterance, so too will he work in the church and in his disciples today. We are then to take heart. We are not to fear Notice that repeated command, do not be anxious, do not fear. The Christian, though we live in a world which hates us and despises us, friends, we are not to fear. And we see that principle very clearly spoken of in verses 16 to 25, where our Lord is very clear, unambiguous, that the disciples will be persecuted. The disciples will be persecuted. But as a consequence of what he teaches them in the midst of that persecution, he says, secondly, in verse 26 to verse 33, that the disciples ought not to fear. Though they are persecuted, they ought not fear. Christian, though you might find yourself uh, in the face of great persecution, you are not to be fearful. That's the central message of the text. Christ is with us. The Spirit works in us. This is the ministry of Christ in his kingdom. Though we are persecuted, we are not to be fearful. But persecution is very clear and is a fact of being a Christian, as Christ first teaches his disciples in verses 16 to 25. Now, we need to be a little bit careful The teaching of our Lord here is both specific and general. There are parts of this text which speak only, at least mostly, to the disciples. They'll be dragged before synagogues and flogged in synagogues. Well, that's probably not going to happen to the the general uh, kingdom of Christ throughout all ages. So there are specific elements to the ministry of the disciples in their day and age. But there are also general principles at work throughout the whole text. And that's bound up in the fact that the ministry spoken of here, yes, it's specifically of the disciples, 
But the disciples, we're told, are the foundation of the Church of Christ. The ministry of the Church of Christ will face, broadly speaking, the same kinds of persecution. We ought to expect that. We ought to expect that. And we sometimes have difficulty when it comes to us because we've lived in an age which has been so protected by God. We've lived in a country where religion has been so protected by God that it comes to us as something of surprise and a shock to the system. And we think, what in the world is going on? Well, our Lord says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. It's coming. We ought to expect the reality of persecution. He says that clearly. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. It's a clear statement that the disciples will take a position of vulnerability and they will be subject to extreme danger. After all, we know what happens to sheep in the midst of wolves. They get torn apart and eaten. And yet the disciples had previously been sent out, verses 1 to 4, sent out by Christ with great power to do the same, the very same signs Christ himself was doing. Christ, who had the fullness of the Spirit given to him to engage in his earthly ministry, grants that Spirit to his disciples, the same Spirit, the same power, so that they might preach the gospel, they might heal. How can it be then... That these disciples, with the power of the eternal, almighty spirit working in them, should become as sheep in the midst of wolves. Our Lord sends them out with authority, chapter 10.1. Authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and affliction. He sends them out with the authority of himself with the eternal spirit working in them. Why then can it, or how then can it be when he says in verse 17, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts. Or verse 23, when they persecute you in one town. Or verse 28, do not fear those who can kill the body. They've got all this authority. Why can't it be used to overturn those destructive, persecuting powers? Why can't the gospel take over the world, take over the powers that be, transform them, change them, so there is not this threat? Those with authority become like sheep amongst wolves. How is this? It's because of the nature of the kingdom of heaven it's of the nature of the means of the kingdom of heaven and its expansion that it must be this way christ's ministry is very clear my kingdom is not of this world if it were uh, my disciples would take up swords the kingdom of heaven is not promulgated by force but by preaching and here, healing of the sick and the afflicted. In fact, the kingdom of heaven goes forth by rebirths, spiritual rebirths, which produce in those reborn a willing compliance, a willing compliance to the means and principles of that very kingdom, which is to say 
The kingdom of heaven is set up by the king himself, Christ, in opposition in every respect to the kingdoms of this world. In goal, in means, in function, in character, the kingdom of heaven is the opposite to the kingdoms of this world. Every kingdom of this world in some way relies on some kind of oppression, force, coercion. It's just the nature of the beast. But the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of heaven and grace, changes the hearts of people, creates willing compliance to a heavenly agenda, ties us in not to worldly means to expand the kingdom, but heavenly means. It creates people with an allegiance to Christ, not the powers and governments of this world. In other words, the kingdom of Christ is an entity, a rule, a way of life, a government wholly contrary to the kingdoms of this world. And that's why the kingdoms of this world hate the kingdom of Christ and hate King Jesus. And that's why also Christians and the disciples will be as sheep in the midst of wolves. They will be subject to danger, to vulnerability, to death. Our Lord speaks of that persecution in different parts of this passage. Verse 17, he says, Beware of men. They will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Verse 23, verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Verse 23, they will persecute you in one town. Verse 28, they will kill you. That's the nature, the tone of the persecution. Shame, ridicule. Listen, shame and ridicule will be placed upon you. Deprivation of your livelihood. Physical assault harassment. Verse 21, families are going to turn on each other. Families that are divided on faith lines will turn on each other. Brother will deliver brother to death. The father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. That's the nature of of the hard distinction between being of the household of faith and being of the kingdoms of this world. You'll turn on your own. They'll turn upon you. Friends, if ever there was a demonstration of the darkness of the heart of natural unbelieving men, this is it. Those who come in the name of the true king. Those who come declaring peace with God. The forgiveness of sins. Those who come declaring redemption and hope and blessing and satisfaction in God. They're hated to the point of death. I mean, if ever you want testimony that the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else, this is it. They hate the message of life and light and forgiveness and friends. So did you before you were saved. 
and there's great danger. And our Lord presents that simply as a reality. But there's a context to this reality of danger, is there not? Great comfort is spoken to the disciples and by extension you today, as we see in verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. It's particularly, peculiarly true of the disciples, more generally true in the spirit's ministry in us. Did you notice we have another one of those fear not statements in scripture? One of the 400 plus fear not statements. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. Did you hear that? When they deliver you over to courts, to synagogues in which you'll be beaten or the modern equivalent thereof, or before governors and you're treated harshly, don't be anxious what you're going to say. He's telling the disciples what is to come in their life, both in terms of suffering but also in terms of the successful, effectual ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through them. Here we have a promise of the Spirit's unusual operation in the disciples. I don't think we can expect this same operation. We can expect the Spirit's normal operation in us. That the Spirit takes in us when we're persecuted, when we're put on trial in any, any setting, that the Spirit will bring to remembrance that which we have been taught and learned. But here is speaking of the Spirit's unusual operation. Don't worry about it, says our Lord. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say in that moment where you're called to give an answer. The Spirit of your Father is going to speak through you. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about what you'll say before those that hate you. Why? Verse 18. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Why? To bear witness. Did you notice that? The very purpose of their persecution in the early church, the disciples. And we can say by extension a purpose of our troubles in this life for the sake of our faith is what? It is to bear witness. That's the purpose. Christ is quite clear. It's not, oh, you're going to be dragged before them and then you've got an opportunity for that. He says the very purpose of you being dragged before these unbelievers is that you will bear witness. You will bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Do we not see, friends, earthly powers exist somewhere down here. That's their general efficacy. Verse 28, they can destroy the body, but they can't cast the soul into hell. They exist somewhere down here. But Christ says, even when they are operating to their greatest power, killing those who withstand against them, there is a far immeasurable greater power operative in that very moment. It's the power of Almighty God bearing witness to the testimony of of Jesus Christ for that purpose they are being persecuted the power 
the sovereignty, the overruling governance of God. When the evildoer thinks he's doing his worst, something far greater is happening. Is that not what we see at the cross of Christ? Is that not what we see? We've just sung about it, haven't we? The cross he bore is life and health. There's the greater purpose, even though it was shame and death to him. His people's hope, his people's wealth, their everlasting theme. Fret not in the midst of trouble, our Lord is saying to us today. When your work colleagues make snide comments at you, family members berate you or argue with you, that is for the purpose that you may bear testimony both with your actions and, if the Lord wills, with your mouths. Something far greater is happening in that moment than the oppression of the wicked. Reminds me of Bishops Latimer and Ridley. Some of you will know this story, no doubt. Uh, Mid-1500s, tied back-to-back at a stake in Oxford. They're about to be burned, uh, burned to death for their faith. And it wasn't their whimpering or their pleading or their wailing that was heard as they were burned. Rather, it was Latimer shouting to his friend Ridley, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. They were that candle. A candle of standing up for Christ. That while their oppressors, their persecutors thought they're putting out a testimony, one is being born at that very moment. After them came the Protestant Reformation. Another comfort, friends, not just verse 19, is what we see in verse 24. As it will be with the disciple, so it was with the Lord. There's a great paradox in what our Lord says in verse 24. You know what a paradox is, don't you? It's an apparent contradiction. It's not a real contradiction, but it appears to be one. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? I mean, on appearance, it seems to say, okay, if you're with me, you're going to get it. You're going to face this wretched kind of persecution, this maligning. It just seems to be all negative. But the paradox is really there in verse 24 and the first part of verse 25. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. There's the blessedness and the comfort of this whole narrative of persecution. Our Lord is speaking of a precious doctrine that ought to be precious to each one of you as Christians. He's speaking of the doctrine of union with Christ. A servant is not greater than his master, but he is like his master. Because the Christian is united inseparably to Jesus Christ. And he's not just speaking about some nice doctrine that we can read on the page of a systematic theology. He's teaching about an inviolable rule, 
a connection and union of the deepest, most intimate nature between Jesus and his people. A connection and union that cannot be broken by human hand or power. And he's saying to them at this moment, if I suffered, so too will you. But the great blessing to the other side of that union coin is not just as Christ suffered, so will we. As Christ triumphed, so will we. As Christ was raised from the dead, so too shall we spiritually and materially be raised from the dead. As Christ has gone and sat at the right hand of the Father, he has gone to prepare a place for us. Yes, rest assured, he says, you will be persecuted only so that your triumph, my triumph, might be more sweet in your lives. Friends, we need to understand Christianity is not for the faint of heart or for the part-time Christian. Christianity is not for the faint of heart or for the part-time Christian, but neither is it for those who are self-confident. The call is here to those who are faint-hearted, who are thinking of turning to stand fast to be full of commitment to Christ. And the call is to those who think they stand fast by their own rights or strengths. There is no self-confidence in this passage, but it is filled with Christ-confidence. Oh, don't think for a moment, dear friend, your standing rests upon your own self or your good works or your abilities. That's a folly. The passage tells us here, beneath the surface, Christ is our right. Christ is our strength. Christ is our confidence. It is the spirit of your Father working in you, speaking through you, enabling you to stand, enabling you to be courageous, enabling you to live an uncompromised life and to speak with love, to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves before a world which hates you. What say you, friend? What do you say to this? Are you ready for this? Are you willing to face it in perhaps a way we've not faced it as, as the church in this country before? Is our witness to the world visible or invisible? Do we live chameleon-like in the world, blending in so as not to attract attention? Or are we distinct? Are we even, as it were, a, a candlelight in darkness? The threat is real to you. The danger is real. But so is union with Christ. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher so is union with christ real which is why our lord says in verse 26 so have no fear of them though the disciples are persecuted secondly the disciples ought not to fear Notice this, on the basis of what our Lord has said, both in verse 19 and verse 20, and then again in verse 24 and also verse 22, 
Christ now applies the word. He says, listen to my teaching and my doctrine. So, therefore, have no fear of them. Fear is real, isn't it? We all know it. You know, we all look up to those evangelist types, those great witnesses who can just speak without hesitation, it seems. Indeed, it seems sometimes they're compelled to speak. And we look up to them and think, oh, I wish I could be like them. Our Lord says to each one of us today, have no fear. Doctrine drives practice. Friends, if you have no doctrine, you have no Christian practice, plain and simple. If your doctrine is weak, so will be your practice. On the basis of what Christ has taught them, doctrine, he now says to them, have no fear. That's a call to the Christian, a faith-filled call that we must, by faith, reckon that the powers before which we might stand can do us no lasting harm. That the powers before which we stand can do us no lasting harm, verse 28. It's a call for us now in the days of peace and relative prosperity to reason and conclude in our own hearts that it is better to receive the ridicule and censure and spite and envy and evil and deprivation and death that the world can bring us than be unfaithful to God. It is better to receive those things than for us to turn or to be silent. Young people, whoever you are, I don't know, age 15 to 25, whatever young is these days, Think on this, friends. Your world, the world in which we now live, is very different to the world of previous generations. Indeed, I would suggest that even 20 years ago in this country, certainly in my country, the, the world now is unrecognizable in its standards, its judgments, its, its way of operating. Everything has changed, and it hasn't changed for the better. It's degraded. It's regressed. You need to understand that, young people. Our Lord says to you, in the midst of this world in which you will be persecuted for your faith, that is, if your faith is visible, our Lord says to you, fear not. Fear not what the world can do to you. Better is suffering with faithfulness than ease with unfaithfulness. Better is suffering with faithfulness than all the ease and prosperity in this world with unfaithfulness. Be ready to lose, to give up, to be deprived. Be ready for the world to call you a fool. As Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to attain what he cannot lose. No fool who gives up the things he can't keep in order to attain that which cannot be lost under him, Christ, an everlasting life. Be prepared to give up all your earthly comforts, Christian of any age, all your earthly comforts, all your blessings, your good name, for the sake of that which cannot be lost, 
Jesus Christ and eternal life in him. The day is coming, fast approaching, where the microaggressions that we now get in workplaces and in families will soon become macroaggressions and persecution will come upon us. Be ready to give up what you can't keep for that which you can't lose. Our Lord says more reasons for encouragement. Have no fear. Why? For nothing is covered that won't be revealed. All the evil deeds of the wicked, the Christians, our brethren who are suffering in silence throughout this world, it will be revealed. The Lord will reckon to those who have done evil in his sight. More also, he will bring to pass the vindication of the righteous, those who have been oppressed on that last day. And so he says to us, verse 27, preach openly, speak openly of the truth. You have heard what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. He tells the disciples and us, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Why? Because there's one greater to fear whom we ought to fear, the Lord. He can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear the Lord. Be a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman, a God-fearing boy, a God-fearing girl. And don't fear the world. Another reason to be encouraged in the midst of trouble. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He goes on to say, are you not worth more than many sparrows? He's speaking about the relative worth of the child of God. And that worth is incomparable. Do you know why we know that? Because Christ died for them. Christ died for us. That means, dear friend, as a Christian, you are of incomparable worth. Whatever you've done in the past, whatever's been done to you in the past... You are of incomparable worth. The comparison of many sparrows and the child of God, it is no comparison. And moreover, does not God sovereignly rule and dispose all things, even the hairs on our head? Verse 30, even the hairs on your head are numbered. How much more so you, dear Christian? Are you not front and center in the eyes of God. Friends, Christian, your life is hidden with God. Your persecution may be hidden from the world, hidden from your church, but your whole life, every last second, including those persecuted moments, is seen by your strong Savior, your Father in heaven, and the Spirit who works in you. Therefore, verse 31, fear not. You see it again? Fear not, therefore. Fear not, therefore. Christ keeps coming back to this principle. Don't fear. He says, verse 32, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. In this section, a final encouragement and a final warning. 
Verse 33, that final warning. To those who, under pressure of the world and persecution, end up denying Christ. It's not the only place our Lord's going to speak on this. He'll talk about it in the parable of the sower, Matthew chapter 13, in just a few chapters. Matthew chapter 13, verse 20, he says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word with the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The writer to the Hebrews was writing to a similar group of people with that experience. Hebrew converts, it seems, who are now coming under pressure because of their faith in Christ to revert back to Judaism, which was not persecuted. The writer to the Hebrews says this in chapter 6 and verse 4. For it is impossible. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. We go back to the start of that sentence. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance. Look, we're not talking about the backslidden Christian, though they're in great danger of this. I'm not talking about the one who professed faith and was never really converted and then later in life comes back to, to God. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about the one who named Christ, who said he's my savior and the spirit has worked saving faith in me, who ultimately turns his back on the Lord. Scripture says it's impossible to renew them to repentance. Our Lord is saying the same thing here. It's a call for each one of us as Christians. Oh, examine your heart, friend, to ensure that you be found sincerely in the household of faith by faith in Jesus Christ and by no other mechanism. Because our Lord says this, Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Oh, what sorrow there will be on that final day of judgment for those who have denied the Christ. When they hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. It's a warning to each one of us to take seriously this warning, ultimately that we be found in Christ. Receive him by faith this day if you have not. Repent, believe, put your trust in him alone. But what a great encouragement. As as fearful as the one warning is, how great is the encouragement we see there in verse 32. Think on this. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'm a Christian. That's what that means. We say before the world in one way or another, I'm a Christian and I love my Savior. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Think on that. That last day when you, Christian, stand before the great white throne and judgment seat of God 
and you hear Jesus Christ confess your name before the Father. Oh, think on it. He's there sat at his right hand. And you come before him and he looks to the Father and he says, I know this one. He belongs to me. He is faithful. He has, as it says, he has endured to the end and he is saved. She is saved. Oh, imagine that. It's almost impossible to imagine. You look at your life, I look at mine, filled with sin, filled with failure, filled with unfaithfulness. And Christ is there confessing your very name, you by name, to the Father saying, he's mine. She is mine. And those most blessed words, well done, thou good and faithful servant it's almost unimaginable isn't it it's testimony to the fact that we can't possibly achieve this by our own ends but only by faith in Christ and his righteousness imputed to us and our sins wholly completely irrevocably removed from us Oh, that's good news, friends. That's really good news. To confess Christ now, though it might lead to short-term trouble or trial or hardship, is, friends, to lay up for yourselves treasure after treasure after treasure in heaven. Don't fear men. Fear the Lord. Act the man, as Latimer said. Act the woman, be strong in the Lord, because those who fear the Lord are going to be welcomed into his eternal presence. Those whom the world hates, whom the world has ostracized, whom the world has cut down, who have persecuted, who have martyred them, they're going to sit down at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we're going to gaze on the face of the Savior forever and ever. Amen. So do not fear.